Last week we learned that in the life of Paul, the first critical step was submitting to Jesus as Lord and the Holy Spirit as God. Last week. You know, we, we, we threw this on the, on the screen. Leading people to commit. This is, this is the work of the church. This is where we need to be. Encourage each other to submit to Jesus as Lord and the Holy Spirit as God. And, and, and here's, the, here's the facts. What was true for Paul is true for us. What was true for Paul is true for us. Now, now the thing is, <clears throat> that's not enough. And, and the evidence of that is how okay the devil is with us stopping there. Hell is very cool with. That's probably a play on words. Hell, cool. Okay. <clears throat> hell is very cool with us getting saved and thinking that no more steps need to be taken. And, and my evidence for that, <clears throat> along with like all of life's experience, my evidence for that comes from, uh, from the classic Christian book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, written in 1942. It's been in print ever since then. That's what, 70-something? Like, that's a long time, right? Nearly, uh, nearly 80 years, right? 77 years, is that my math? If you, if you haven't read it, it's phenomenal. Um, it's a, it's, you have to, if you haven't read it, you almost have to appreciate uh, that, that the screw tape letters is, is upside down. Upside down. So it's, 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 uh, it's fictional, but completely true. It's made up, but perfectly accurate. And, uh, and, it's, and, and, and C.S. Lewis writes um, of, of this, of this um, upper-level devil who's writing to his junior nephew who is a tempter that you know because they're because they're, they're, they're out to tempt us to get to hell and so but everything's upside down and so they talk about their glorious leader and 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 they're talking about who satan and then they talk about the enemy and they're talking about are you good with that everybody good you know okay so the enemy is god in the next piece i put up in front of you he writes some um, uh, my dear wormwood i note with grave displeasure that your patient has become a christian in the meantime, we must make the best of the situation. There is no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. All the habits of the patient, both, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. And then he writes later on in a different uh, section. For this reason, I am almost glad to hear that he is still a churchgoer and a communicant. Means regular in worship, taking communion. As long as he retains externally the habits of a Christian, he can still be, me, still be made to think of himself as one who has adopted a few new friends and amusements, but, and these are my words, in reality, whose spiritual state is much the same as it was six weeks ago so so i'm offering this as evidence hell is totally fine totally fine with a person getting saved and believing themselves to be a christian if that's where they stop see it's not enough to commit to jesus and then stop there and, and lewis is doing this thing where he's connecting external habits 
and internal habits, or, or, or maybe, maybe he's pointing out that external habits and internal thoughts aren't exactly the same, which is, which is a lot of words. What does it actually mean for us in, in plain English? And, and for that, I invite you to join with me as we go to the Bible for direction. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18, where we'll sort of start our, uh, our survey of today's um, sort of lessons from the life of Paul. And as you're turning there, Acts chapter 18, uh, let me say this. So there are some people <clears throat> that believe, and they're going to tell you this, or they're going to tell me this, or they're going to practice this their own, their, in their own way, and that's, that's for them to do. They're gonna, there's some people that say, if you accept Jesus, then your next step is to isolate from the world. If you accept Jesus, then the next thing you need to do is, uh, is to go enter the monastery. Go, uh, go take a spot in a, in, you know, in a convent somewhere. This is not what Paul did. This is not what Paul did. It says in, uh, in, in, in Acts chapter 18, Paul kept working. I should open the Bible. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus. He had recently come from Italy, what we actually know that to be. He came from Rome itself with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul had visited with them. Because they practiced the same trade, he stayed and worked with them. They all worked with leather. Leather is the common English translation for what most of us know to be the fact that Paul was a tent maker. But... And so the common English and a lot of the commentaries will point out that tent maker is the correct translation, but it's probably narrow. That, that, that Paul and, and, and folks that, that did what Paul did, including these two, this husband and wife tandem that had gotten thrown out of Rome and had moved over here to, to Corinth, is that they worked with skins and, they made, and, and leather and they made tents primarily, but that they'd make other things out of leather as well, right? So this is, this is the broader understanding. But it, but it says they were together. Every Sabbath, he interacted with people in the synagogue, trying to convince both Jews and Greeks. Once, Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. Paul devoted himself fully to the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. When they opposed and slandered him, he shook the dust from his clothes in protest and said to them, you were responsible for your own fates. I'm innocent. From now I'll go on to the Gentiles. He left the synagogue and went next door, which is pretty fascinating on another Sunday, maybe morning. We'll talk about what it's like to, um, to, to leave one place and go across the street and set up your, your shop. Um, it's, it's, and so he goes next door to the home of Titius Justice, a God, a Gentile God worshiper. Crispus, the synagogue leader, back across the street, and his entire household came to believe in the Lord. Many Corinthians believed and were baptized after listening to Paul. One night, the Lord said to Paul in a vision, Don't be afraid. Continue speaking. Don't be silent. I'm with you, and no one who attacks you will harm you, for I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed there for 18 months, teaching God's word among them. This is the word of God for we the people of God and we say together thanks be to God 
Let's, let's ask this again. How do we keep Jesus as Lord? How, how are we able to, to allow the Spirit to guide us in the midst of the busyness of the world? How do we do it? Paul here is still working. This passage, as Luke, the writer of of Acts, indicates, this passage shows that that daily Paul was working. But he was able to maintain the main thing in the place of the main thing because while daily he was working, weekly he had habits. I would actually say that here, and I'm only going to really focus on one of them, but I would say here that that, that it expresses two different habits. The first is that he's offering people the good news. He, and in this case, he's offering Jews the good news in the synagogue, which was happening on Saturdays. But, but it also is clear that, that at some point when they said, we're done with your good news, go ahead and, uh, and go somewhere else, he went somewhere else, literally across the street to someone's home. And there he was in he was engaged in gathering with Christians, some of which had been Gentiles, non-Jews, and had come to believe in Jesus, and some, including Crispus, the synagogue leader from across the street, right, had been Jews, but who now believed the fullness of what God was doing. See, because see, a Jew believes in the one true God. The, the, a, a Jew believes that, that God's plans are to redeem the world. Right? And the exact same way that I do, except, except what, they're, what they're missing out on is that God's plans to redeem the world sound like this. Say it with me. Jesus. <laughs> That's God's plans to redeem the world. It's Jesus. And so Crispus and these Jews that have come across the street are saying, yeah, we understand the fullness of it all. And so Paul weekly is, is, both, is both offering good news, but he's also being encouraged by good news himself. So, so, so the daily grind of work, and he actually talks about it in a bunch of other places. 1 Corinthians uh, 4.12, he talks about, um, about working with his hands. He does it a couple different places. Paul, the daily grind of work that happens in the life of Paul is combined with the weekly habits of worship. This is what uh, this is what Hebrews ten twenty five says of it. Don't stop meeting together with other believers, which some people have gotten into the habit of doing. Instead, encourage each other, especially as you see the day drawing near. The day was probably a, a combination of, uh, of the day of the second coming and the Lord's return, but also an awareness that, that none of us are promised tomorrow and that our day, that, that, that the end of our mortal bodies could be any day. The, the, the more you grow to appreciate that we are not guaranteed forever down here, the more what we do in this space matters. And Paul lived this out. He would gather for worship with Jews, and then, and then he'd gather for worship with Christians until the Jews kicked him out, but he was still in worship with other believers. 
There's a, there's, there's a reference to this in the previous chapter from where we read. As was Paul's custom, he entered the synagogue and for three Sabbaths interacted with them on the basis of the scriptures. As was Paul's custom. But, but like our first passage in, in Acts 18, he was also in worship with Christians. He, he, actually, he actually would write on three different occasions about how much he missed seeing others. He wrote to the church in Rome, he wrote to the church in Philippi, and he wrote to his friend Timothy. Almost exactly the same words. He wrote to him, I long to see you. He says, I long to see you so that I can be filled with happiness and encouraged. He wrote that once, twice, three times in the New Testament. Paul writes that, or or, or Paul's secretary writes that when Paul's telling him in his ear, you need to write that. I long to see you. Now, now here's the case of of Paul's letter to Timothy, it's possible that what he meant was, I long to see you and that we could be in fellowship together again. I can't wait to come and stay at your house and we can have meals together and we can take long walks on the the Greek coast and and you can tell me about your kids and the the relatives. That could be what he's talking about with Timothy, right? Because he's writing to an individual. But, But when he's writing to a group of people in Rome, when he's writing to a group of people in Philippi, what's he talking about? He's talking about worship. I long to see you in worship when I get there to be encouraged and to find happiness. In the years after the resurrection, the day of the week changed from Saturdays to Sundays. The phrase, uh, the first day of the week, occurs eight different times in the New Testament. The first six times or so, it's referring to the actual day of resurrection. On the first day of the week, the women left while it was still dark with their oils and their spices to go find the tomb. You know this story, right? You know, I mean, it's not, it's not Easter Sunday morning, but we know the story. On the first day of the week, on the first day of the week, while the, while the disciples were gathered in the upper room, still scared to death that they were going to get persecuted and found out, Jesus walked mysteriously through a door that was actually already locked. That, that, those are the instances of the resurrection story where it talks about the first day of the week. But, but when you get to Acts chapter 20, when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and it says the first day of the week, it's not talking about the resurrection, it's talking about Sunday is the day that Christians get together and worship. The first day of the week. So so what should happen on the first day of the week when we get together in this place? Acts chapter 2 says, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, unity to their shared meals and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. If we're just taking the words off the screen, it's, uh, it says that when we get together, there should be teaching, there should be meals, there should be prayers. Oh, by the way, and God's going to show up with wonders and signs. Colossians 3.16 The word of Christ much, must live in you richly. Teach and war- warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs sing to god with gratitude in your hearts 
according to this, we're, we're to be teaching and warning with wisdom. And the music should include all varieties. I, I'm reading deep, deep in here, and it says it's okay to have drums. And all of this should lead us to thanksgiving. So, so, so I believe that the agenda of heaven is that we would get saved and then not stop there. So this is the way we write it. Not, not just that we're a church leading people to commit, but we're a church that's engaging in worship weekly. What does that mean? That we gather within the body of Christ to renew the way we see the world. John Wesley understood that worship, including Holy Communion, is vital for spiritual growth. And, and then the little part there about the, to renew the way we see the world. I, I am convinced that every instance of Jesus teaching was an opportunity for him to get us to see the world differently. To renew the way we see the world. And, 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 and the instant, and I don't have enough time to do this, and we'll talk about this some other day, but, 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 but you just go down the list of topics. Jesus says, you, 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 see, you, know, you, you see that man that's, that's laying there on the side of the road, and, and the hero turns out is not a hero and the other one that goes by turns out is not as a hero and then the enemy that comes by turns out to be the hero and the friend of that man who was his neighbor jesus is saying i want you to see the world differently the samaritans are not the bad guys you, you, you know that you know that you know that son of our neighbor that went off and squandered all the inheritance that did all those terrible things and how our neighbor came back and didn't see him as one to be shunned and to be cast off, but instead one to be embraced. I want you to see the world differently. Every single story of Jesus is intended for us to get back in this place and be reminded that the way that Fox News tells it is actually not the truth. That the way that CNN represents what's happening in the world is actually a lie. There's not a single instance in the Bible, I'm preaching now, there's not a single instance in the Bible where it says immigrants are gangsters from another country. Not once. In fact, what it says is the gospel, you know, the gospel is loving widows and orphans and foreigners. We've got to get back into this place every single week so that the way the world would have us see things might get shaken up and turn back to what's right or else. Or else hell wins with our souls. We must be about worship weekly to renew the way to see the world.
I believe this was true for Paul. I believe it's true for me. And I believe it's true for the way we're to, to, to be together. Let's pray. Gracious God, may we have ears to hear. that you have created us for something more, that there is more going on, that our eyes cannot always see it, that our minds cannot always understand it, and yet you are leading us to a place where your goodness is revealed. You are leading us to encounter your son Jesus, and it happens when we get together here. So that when we go out there, the world would see you. We're thankful for what this place does for us. Even now as we're reminded of your great sacrifice. We offer this prayer in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen and amen. Hear these words of the church. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another as we say, Merciful God, we confess we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. 
By the baptism of his suffering death and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let's pray. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the whole world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with your Holy Spirit, in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen.